This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. The question as we begin our study this morning, and that's, do you know who you worship? Do you know who you worship? That seems like a silly question to a bunch of Christians gathered in assembly like this today. Uh, but I think it's an important question to ask sometimes. Do you know God? Do you know Him? You know, we think about God sometimes and, and we um, have this view of God and, and uh, what He is and he's, he's, he's hard to understand. The character of God's a difficult concept to grasp in some ways and it, in a lot of ways, that's what leads people, I think, to, to things like atheism because they just can't grasp the concept of God, an almighty creator uh, who made everything, who, who is all-powerful. And I think it's important that we take a look at that. I, I, I think about a story uh, in the book of John, chapter 4, a story that we probably would all recognize. It's Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well and as Jesus interacts with the woman, he, he asks her for a drink of water, and she talks about the well being deep, and she didn't have anything to draw with, and they begin to have a conversation. And in the course of that conversation, Jesus says to her, if you knew who was speaking with you, you would ask of him to give you living water. And once you had that living water, you would never thirst again. And she, she wanted that water. Uh, she had a desire to go after Jesus and in the course of that conversation, she goes on to realize that Jesus is a prophet of some kind. He tells her to call for a husband, and she says, I don't have a husband. He says, you've said well because you've had five husbands, and the person that you're living with now, that's not your husband. And she begins to realize, hey, there's something different about this guy. He knows something that, that uh, is different. He, he understands who I am. And she realizes that he's a prophet. And she says in, in John chapter 4 and verse 19, The woman saith unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And so here's a woman that has come to the understanding that she's talking to a prophet. Now she doesn't understand who Jesus is exactly at this point in time. But she understands he's a prophet and she has a question or begins to ask him a question, I think. She makes this statement in verse 20. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain and you say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And so she's starting out to ask Jesus a question, I believe. And I think it's because her heart is true. I think Jesus interacts with this woman because she has a heart that is seeking after the truth. She wants to understand the truth. And she's been worshiping in that mountain where they're at, in Samaria. And she says, our fathers have worshipped in this mountain for years and say this is the place that people ought to worship. And you say that in Jerusalem is the place we ought to worship. And she's going to ask him a question, I think. Which, what is right? <laughs> she wants to know what's right. And then Jesus says this to her. Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. So Jesus perceives where she's going with this. And he says it doesn't matter. There's coming a day, there's coming an hour when it doesn't matter uh, where you worship. And I want you to think about this woman. She's been seeking after God. She's a Samaritan. 
The Samaritans went through a period of time when they worshipped false gods. They worshipped idols. But in around the year 561 B.C., they quit that. And they sought the same God that you and I seek today, Yahweh. They sought after him and him alone. They didn't have other gods. And that's the, the religion that this woman would have fit into. Now, she wasn't going to Jerusalem to worship. But she was worshiping God. She knew God or thought she knew God. She knew that Messiah would come, as she's going to say later on in this chapter. But I want you to listen to what Jesus says to her in verse 22. John 4 and verse 22, he says, Ye worship, ye know not what. What a slam to someone who has been seeking God perhaps their whole life. Now, we know this woman had some problems with the way that she lived. We know the Samaritans in general had some issues. They, they ignored the prophets. They didn't think that there was any part of the, the written word that was true other than uh, what the, the, the books of Moses. And they ignored the rest of the written word of God. But she's seeking God. She's seeking God. And yet, Jesus says to her, you don't even know what you're worshiping. That's kind of a scary thought to me because you and I think we know God, don't we? We think we know who God is. We think we know who we serve. But the question comes up just like Jesus told her, you don't know what you're worshiping. You don't even have a clue what you're serving. You're just going about and going through these motions and you don't even know why or who it is that you're worshiping. He said, we know. We know, and he's talking about the Jewish religion. He said, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. I want you to think about this woman for just a minute. A woman that believed in God. She believed in God, in Yahweh, the one true God. Same God you and I believe in. Same God you and I want to worship today. She believed in that God. And furthermore, she believed that the Messiah was coming. She knew enough about the scriptures in those books of Moses. She had an understanding that Messiah was coming. Look at what she says in verse 25 of John chapter 4. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, and which is called Christ. And when he has come, he'll tell us all things. She said, I know the Messiah's coming, and I know he's going to tell us everything when he gets here. A woman that believed in God and believed in Christ. And Jesus tells her, you don't know what you're worshiping. You don't know. Do you know who you worship? You know, I fear today that there's a watered-down view of God. What I would call a world view of God. And we try to form God or make God into something that we can understand. And the fact of the matter is we cannot understand all there is to understand about God. There's some characteristics about God that we're going to go through today. They're not all of his characteristics. There are some things that we just cannot understand about God. But we need to know that he is supreme in all things. He is supreme. He's not something we can form. He's not something we can see. He's not something we can even imagine. He is supreme in every way. And this woman, though she believed in a God, she didn't know what that God was. She didn't know who that God was. She had ignored parts of God's word. And in ignoring that, she had lost vision of what she should be doing or what she should be worshiping. What about you? The fact of the matter is you cannot worship if you don't know God. 
If you don't know God, you cannot worship him effectively. There's a similar passage to to this in Acts 17 and verse 23. Paul, speaking to the people in Athens, said, For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship him, declare I unto you. Now, the people there had a little bit different problem. It wasn't that they knew God. They didn't know God. They just didn't want to miss out on the possibility of worshiping somebody that they should be worshiping, so they made an inscription to the unknown God. And they did worship to that unknown God. They didn't have a clue what they were doing. They weren't worshiping him as he would have them to worship, but they wanted to do service to him. They wanted to know him. So they went about to try to do that. Paul said, I'm going to declare him unto you. We'll reference some of those verses as we go along. But I want you to know a few characteristics about God today. And I want you to think about him in terms of being the supreme, in terms of being the one. The only true and living God, as Chance prayed in his prayer this morning. He's an amazing, amazing being. Let's talk about him just a little bit. He's our creator, isn't he? God is the creator of the universe. He made everything you see and everything you can't see. He is the designer. He is the architect. And through his son, he created all that there is to see, all that there is to do. And that is an amazing, amazing thing. He goes on, Paul does in Acts 17 and verses 24 to 26, he makes this statement. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples, made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth all life and breath and all things. He giveth all Things and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined their times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. God is the creator of all you see, God is the creator of you, God is the creator of the air that you breathe, He is the creator of all life, He giveth all life, all breath, all things. That is the God we serve. Let that soak in for just a minute. Don't just read across that and scan across that and think about that in terms of a worldly type thing. He's far out of this world. Far out of this world. And all that you have and can see came from the mind of the designer of the architect, God Almighty. That's the God that we serve. The creator of all things. He's holy. What does that mean, that he's holy? The word holy just means to to be set apart, to be sacred. And he certainly is set apart. He's sacred. He's holy. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 3, And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. He's holy. He's sacred. He is set apart far beyond what we can imagine, what we can think about. We read in Acts 17 and verse 24, he doesn't dwell in temples that are made with hands. He doesn't dwell in places that we can imagine. He's not something that we can form. He's not... Uh, he's not graven by silver or gold or stone that 
that mankind can make and form into an image. He's holy. Everything he does is right. Everything he says is correct. He cannot lie. He is perfect. He's holy in every way. He's an omnipotent God. Omnipotent simply means all-knowing. I know a lot of people that know a lot of things. Some that think they know a lot of things. Don't know so much as they think that they know. God's not that way at all. He is all-knowing. He knows everything. Everything you do, think, say, he knows it. There are no secrets with God. No secrets. Stop and let that soak in for just a minute. There are no secrets with God. Job says in Job 42 and verse number 2, I know that thou canst do everything. I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. You can't hide anything from God. He has determined their times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He knew you before you were born. He knew where you were going to live. He knew what time you were going to come into this earth. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows what you do say and think. Everything. God knows it all. He is omnipotent. He is amazing. Amazing God. We've made a reference to this a couple times, but God is incomprehensible. Human mind cannot grasp the magnitude of what God is and what God does. And we need to realize that. Knowing God means realizing that there are things about God we simply cannot know. We simply cannot know. In Exodus chapter 19 and 20, we see an example of God coming down to earth. One of the few times we can read about God coming down to the earth. And it's really an amazing uh, passage. And I encourage you to read all the way through that uh, when you have the opportunity to do so sometime. But I want to read a a few verses uh, here. I want to look first beginning in in, uh, verse number 16. Uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse number 16. I don't have this on the board, but if you want to turn and read there with me, you, you certainly can. It says, It came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that the people uh, that was camp in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the nether part of the mount, And the Mount Sinai was all together on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly, and the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder. Moses spake to God and answered him by voice. And and so God begins to speak to Moses. And it says the mountain quaked. It says that the mountain was all together on a smoke and there was lightning and there was fire and the trumpet sounded. It was the voice of God. It sounded like a trumpet. It got louder and louder and louder. Can you imagine that sight? I can't comprehend it. That's why we say God's incomprehensible. And you know what the people did in the next chapter in verses 
18 and 19 in Exodus chapter 20. All the people saw the thunderings and the lightnings, the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us lest we die. That's what the voice of God sounds like. If God talks to you, you would be so scared. You would be afraid you were going to die. It's why God left his word in written form for us. It's why God spoke through the prophets in the old days. That's why God spoke through his son Jesus Christ in the new age. That's why God left his word in written form. Because we can't handle the voice of God. He is that incomprehensible. I've heard loud things before. I've heard things so loud it scared me. But to be in a situation like that, to see the sight there on the mountain, to hear the voice of the trumpet, and to, to, to just be there and, and experience that. We think it'd be cool. It wasn't cool. They didn't want any part of it. They said, please, Moses, you, you do the talking with God. We can't handle it. We can't handle it. Job chapter 11 and verse number 7. Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou by searching find out God? Canst thou find the Almighty under perfection? It is as high as heaven. What canst thou do? Deeper than hell. What canst thou know? The measure thereof is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Simply incomprehensible. The power of God. And along those same lines, I want to look at the power. God has power over nature because he created nature. He has power over life because he created life. He can change nature. We've seen demonstrations of Christ doing that. He can, change, he can give life when death has occurred. He's all-powerful. He has all measure of power. And I want to look at a couple of examples of Jesus uh, in, in il illustrating that. In John chapter 18, verses 4 through 6, the Bible says, Jesus therefore, knowing all things, that they should come upon him, went forth, and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. Now I want you to notice verse 6. And as soon as, they, as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. The statement of Jesus that I am he. I'm Jesus. I'm the Christ. Those people fell back to the ground. They couldn't even stand in his presence when he made that statement. That's how powerful he is. I am he. And they just fell down. That's who we serve. That's who we worship. And we need to realize that because the sooner we realize that we serve a master who has all power the quicker that we will become obedient to the commands that he has issued. He's told us what to do. He's told us how to live. He's told us how to worship. And this woman at the well, though she knew God and though she believed in God, she didn't know his full power. She didn't know how incomprehensible he was. And as a result, she wasn't listening to everything that he said. Yeah, she had a heart that wanted to seek truth, but she wasn't seeking Completely because she didn't understand how powerful he was. Jesus says in Matthew 28 and 18, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. 
There is no power that he doesn't have. No power that he doesn't have. And that power includes judgment. He is a righteous judge. That's the God that we serve. That's the Christ that we serve. They are exceedingly righteous in their judgment. In the ninth Psalm in verse number 8, And he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. Righteous. We spend a lot of time trying to be right. Trying to be right. Trying to do right. Brothers and sisters, we are not righteous. We want to do what's right. We're not righteous. God is righteous. The only way we become righteous is through God and through Christ. The blood of Christ makes us righteous. Not doing right. The blood of Jesus who is truly righteous. And he's going to judge the world in righteousness. He's not going to make a mistake. He's not going to judge incorrectly. We hear about people all the time that go to prison that should have never went to prison. That have to do time for crimes they didn't commit. Because this world judgment is not righteous. And it believed some lie at some point in time. And put somebody behind bars that shouldn't have been there. God's not going to do that. He's not going to make a mistake. You and I are going to get exactly what we deserve at the end of this life. Back to Acts chapter 17, it says, He hath appointed a day, in verse 31, in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Jesus will be the judge. God has given him the authority. He has appointed him. He has ordained him. He knows that Jesus understands what it means to live in this life. What it means to live on this earth. The temptations that you and I face. He knows that Jesus understands that. He's given him the authority. And he's going to do it righteously. He's going to judge the world in righteousness. That's the God that we serve. And friends, he's the redeemer. He's the redeemer. Not just the judge. He's not just going to put us down here and judge us for all our unrighteousness. But he's going to redeem us if we'll let him. The 19th Psalm in verse number 14, Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood, out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. We're redeemed by God. God's put us here. He's created us. He's given us all these things to enjoy. And in the end, He has redeemed us. He's given us hope. He's given us peace. He's given us His Son. And by His Son, we can be redeemed and we can have life through this glorious God that we worship. Isn't He deserving of our worship? When we go through that list of things and when we begin to realize just exactly who God is, the creator of the universe, a holy God, a sacred God, one that knows all, that knows you better than anybody knows you, that understands your weaknesses and your secrets and loves you anyway, who is impossible to comprehend everything there is about him. His power, His might, His truth, His righteousness. He's a righteous judge. He's the redeemer of our soul, isn't it? Make you stop and think.
about your worship? This woman knew God. She thought she knew God. But she didn't really know God. And as a result, her worship was off target. It was off point. He said, you don't even know what you're worshiping. Because of these characteristics of God, I think there's a few things we need to remember. And I want to go through those briefly as we close. Number one, hallowed is his name. When you look at that list of characteristics and you think about God, the name of God is hallowed. It's hallowed. Matthew number, uh, chapter 6 and verse number 9, After this manner, therefore pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. To hallow something means to purify it. So people would go through this process of hallowing something, even themselves, and, and they would purify and go through the process of making it clean. God doesn't need to be hallowed. He is hallowed. He is clean. He is pure. He is holy. He is sacred. To approach him in prayer is to recognize these characteristics about him. To know you're speaking to an incomprehensible being. To know that you're speaking to an almighty God. To know that you're approaching the throne of a holy being. Hallowed is his name. He's to be feared. The wise man says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. He's to be feared. Those people on Mount Sinai were afraid when they saw God. We've never seen a sight like that. But we can read about it and we know. We know about his righteous judgment. We know what he thinks about sin. We know those things. And as a result, we can have a healthy fear of him. And the beginning or the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Why? Because it leads to obedience. When you fear God and you reverence God, as we will say as well, he is to be revered. Feared and revered, and when you fear him and you revere him, it will lead you to obedience. You won't question his commands. You won't say, but I know a better way, or I can think of a better way of doing things. You will submit to him because you fear him and because you revere him. The psalm, psalmist says in Psalm 89 and verse 7, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. If you back up to verse 6, he says, For who in the heaven can be compared unto the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? There's nobody like him. There's nobody like him. Hallowed is his name. Fear him, revere him. And the bottom line is he is awesome. We throw that word awesome around a lot of times. There's a buzzer beating shot last night. And we're like, oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's not awesome. God is awesome. When someone can say, let there be light and there's light, that is awesome. When somebody can say, your sins, though there are many, be forgiven, that is awesome. And that's the God that we serve. Revelation chapter 4 and the second part of verse 8 is where we'll start. It says, and they rest not day and night saying, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Which was and is and is to come. That, that is awesome. Was and is and is to come. 
And those beasts set, uh, gave glory or give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever. And the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever. And cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they were created. That is awesome. And that's the God we serve. Let's bring that reverence to Him when we come into the assembly. Let's bring that reverence to Him when we live our lives on a daily basis. Let's submit to Him. Let's honor Him. Let's give Him glory. Because He is unbelievable. He is awesome. Luke 4 and verse number 8. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. And Him only shall thou serve. Do you know who you worship? You worship a God unlike any other. A God who knows you, who loves you, who wants to save you. That's who you worship. John chapter 4 and verse 23. The hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father. True worshipers worship the Father. They worship a Father that they know. A Father that they can look at his characteristics and they know to hold him in the highest reverence. To put him in the highest place. To give him the highest glory. All else to be trodden under his feet. Because he is supreme. He is mighty. He is wonderful. And the true worshipers worship the Father, it says, in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. We're here today to worship the Father. To worship his son. To give them glory and praise. And when we sing we need to have that in our mind. We are singing glory and praise to him. And when we pray we need to have that in our mind. We are praying to the father. To the supreme being. When we come around this table to remember Jesus. We are honoring him. Because he is supreme. He is far above all else. Far Above all else. Do you need to be saved today? Because only the Father can save you. Only the Father through His Son Jesus Christ. There is no other. There is no other that can save you. No man. No other being. No other false deity. Only God through Jesus Christ. And He wants to do that today. And if you're in need of baptism... If you need to have your sins washed away, he's promised he'll do that. And he has the power. He has all power. Nobody else can, can take away your sins because nobody else has the power. He has the power. And he can do it today. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.